Hello and welcome to another episode of Victor's Corner. I am your host, Victor Omoyo, one-fourth of the Codex Prime podcast, and today is Wednesday, December 28, 2016, and I am glad to be back here once again. Um, However, I unfortunately have some extremely sad news to kick off the show. Um, As many of us have learned yesterday, uh, Carrie Fisher, best known for playing Princess Leia in the Star Wars films, has died. She was 60 years old. And this follows a heart attack that she had recently suffered just a few days before. And man, this is, and Carrie Fisher's death is just the latest in a string, an all too long string of high profile celebrity deaths that has plagued this year. And, and Prince, and Carrie Fisher, she's played one of the most iconic uh, characters in cinematic history. And her final film uh, when she was alive was The Force Awakens, Episode 7. And reportedly, she had finished all of her scenes for Episode 8. So uh, I'm, I'm just devastated, as many, of, as many fans are around the world. My thoughts are with, with her family and friends, as, as well as the millions of fans all around the world who have grown up watching her on the big screen. Uh, in addition... Um, there are a couple other films that that I do recommend checking out, also featuring Carrie Fisher. One is, of course, When Harry Met Sally, uh, and also my favorite Woody Allen film, Hannah and Her Sisters, which she is also featured in as well. So Carrie Fisher, gone but will never be forgotten. Rest in peace. Okay, people, so for this episode of Victor's Corner, I'm going to be getting into my top 20 favorite films of 2016. And 2016 has been a pretty good year for films. And for me, I've seen 79 of this year's releases. And of those 79, there are 20 films that really stood out in my mind most positively. And these films I would enthusiastically recommend to anybody looking for a good film or a great film that was released this year. So let's kick it off with my number 20 on this list, uh, beginning with Florence Foster Jenkins. Uh, This film stars Meryl Streep, Hugh Grant, Simon Helberg, and was directed by Stephen Frears. And in this film, uh, Meryl Meryl Streep plays the titular character, Florence Foster Jenkins, who was a socialite who who had a passion and an enthusiasm for opera singing. But there was just one problem, though. One tiny flaw. Uh, Florence Foster Jenkins was incredibly horrendous. She was horrible, hilariously awful as an opera singer. Like, her singing sounded like two cats hate screwing, and it was not pleasant. And, (laughs) And what was interesting was that is that was that her husband, played by Hugh Grant, uh, this guy named St. Clair Bayfield, he actually went out of his way to shield her, his wife, from all of the negative press and reviews that were published in the newspapers at the time. So what he did was he actually paid off audience members to fill out uh, theaters and auditoriums just so they can hear her perform. And when she was counterwalling and just screeching and just, you know... Just like massacring notes on stage, of course, audience members had a had a field day. They were laughing their heads off and whatnot, but they actually gave her applause. They actually, you know, 
praised her because they were paid to do that. And this was a really interesting film in which, you know, real life was much stranger than fiction. And Meryl Streep, I mean, to say that she was great in this film is like saying that water is wet. Of course, we know that Meryl Streep is one of the greatest actresses of all time. And in this perform, her performance here was just was just truly exemplary. And just seeing her, you know, try to belt out these these high notes in just such cringeworthy and awkward fashion was just hilarious. And also, strangely enough, very endearing to watch because you did see how much she devoted herself to her craft and how much joy she got from singing, even though. Uh, many people were laughing at her and not with her. And her husband, uh, St. Clair Bayfield, played by Hugh Grant, he was a guy who, well, you know, he, he it was clear that he did love his wife and he did, did his best to help cultivate her, um, her passion and her hobby. And uh, this film was definitely a crowd pleaser. And this film actually uh, came out, was released in August, and it, and it kind of came and went. It had a relatively short release window, so it wasn't in theaters for too long. So I didn't know anybody else who watched it, but it is available now on Blu-ray. And Florence Foster Jenkins is a really good film, and I would definitely, I would definitely watch it again. At number 19, we have Deadpool starring Ryan Reynolds. And uh, we actually reviewed this uh, this film earlier this year uh, on the Codex Prime podcast and on Victor's Corner. And you know, plot-wise, Deadpool is nothing special, but it takes such an ordinary plot and makes it into a fresh, outlandishly violent and entertaining ride. And for me, this is one of those films in which only one actor could really make it work. And Ryan Reynolds, I mean, he definitely... He definitely lived up to the hype, and he clearly has a lot of passion for this role, and it, and it shows on the screen. And uh, this film was just a treat to watch, and it's a it's a good example of how you know a studio can you know get out of the way of the creators, let them do their thing, let the let the property breathe, and take a chance. And uh, thankfully, uh, this chance really paid off. So I'm looking forward to uh to more shenanigans and more big things from deadpool 2 whenever that comes out and on that note i have to say rest in peace to george michael wham number 18 is loving starring joel edgerton and ruth nega and these two deliver two very subtle and moving moving performances. And this is a biopic about Richard and Mildred Loving, the interracial couple who whose uh, marriage uh, led to the landmark uh, Loving versus Virginia Supreme Court decision, which struck down the ban on interracial marriage uh, in the United States. And this is a film that avoids cliche, and it's a and it is a quiet and meditative film. Yet it's also an impactful true life story that is enormously significant and Jeff Nichols he really did a great job in avoiding you know the uh, histrionic uh, paths that that many biopics do take so Loving is my 18th uh, favorite film of the year. Number 17 is The Handmaiden and this is a period piece which is based on the 2002 novel Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. And The Handmaiden was directed by Park Chan-wook, who directed my, one of my all-time favorite films, 
old boy. And on the surface, at first glance, uh, this period piece and Park Chan-wook's, you know, previous films, which are extremely dark, you know, it seems like a styled clash between artist and material. But make no mistake, The Handmaiden is nothing like you'd expect. Not one bit. <laughs> uh, rather, The Handmaiden is an erotic mystery thriller about this con man uh, who calls himself Count Fujiwara, who hires a grifter, this young Korean woman and con artist named Su Ki, to become the maid of this lonely Japanese heiress, uh, Lady Hideko, who happens to be very wealthy. And so their plan is to have Su Ki, you know, um, you know, be hired by Lady Hideko as her handmaiden, so we can, so she can cl keep close tabs on her. And Fujiwara, meanwhile, will plan to marry Hideko, to and steal her inheritance and have her committed to an insane asylum. So it's a pretty, pretty effed up plan of thievery. And this is a film that you know, being that it's directed by Park Chan Wook, it goes into some really dark and some very shocking directions. I can tell you that. Uh, this is a visually sumptuous film filled with uh, great shots, um, populated with nasty characters throughout. And this film is just like mystery upon deceit, upon lies and treachery every step of the way. And it's two and a half hours of some of the most unforgettable uh, filmmaking you will see from 2016. And the less I say about The Handmaiden, the better. Um, I can't wait until this film comes out on Blu-ray because I really do want to watch it again. There's a lot you can unpack and analyze from this film. And if you're a fan of Old Boy or any of Park Chan-wook's previous films, then The Handmaiden is one that I would say is required viewing. So check that out as soon as you can. Number 16 is a film that I also adore, and this film is Sing Street, which I also reviewed on the podcast. And this film is about a young Irish boy who uh, tries to start up a band in order to impress a girl. And it's a really sweet and very entertaining uh, feel-good film. And it's all about, you know, you know, positive affirmations of being yourself, and it also celebrates creative expression. And this is a film that's also a love letter to many of the 80s bands and artists uh, at the time, like Hall and & Oates, and of course George Michael, uh, Queen, among many others. And uh, one and the the one of the film's um, central musical set pieces is is the song "Drive It Like You Stole It," which I absolutely love. That is such a damn good song, and you can even watch the official um, uh, music video on YouTube. And just to see, and I, I was I was so enamored, I was so liking that scene uh, in in Sing Street that I actually when when once the film was over, I actually stopped the film. And I went back to that film, went back to that scene, and I watched it all over again. I mean, Drive It Like You Stole It is a really cool song. And Sing Street is a really cool film also. So I highly recommend checking that out. That is available on Netflix. So if you like good music, good 80s music, and just, you know, terrific, you know, just a terrific feel-good film, Sing Street should be right up your alley. We also have another feel-good film at number 15, and that is Queen of Catsway, starring Lupita Nyong'o, David Oyelowo, 
and Medina Nalwanga. And this is this film is uh, based on the true story of uh, Ugandan chess prodigy Fiona Mutesi. And this is this is a fun and thoroughly engaging true story. And Mira Nair directs a great film right here. And it's so beautifully shot. Uh, Sean Bobbitt was a cinematographer. And I just loved how he captured Africa on the big screen. And uh, this film was uh, shot on location in Kampala, Uganda, and Johannesburg, South Africa. And uh, Queen of Catway uh, is also one of the more underrated films of this year. And if you're a fan of chess, if you're a fan of just a really a really fine uh, true life story, which is also inspirational, and uh, if you're also a fan of these great actors and Mira Nair, a fine director too, definitely check out Queen of Catway. I, I really like this film a lot. At number 14, we have Denis Villeneuve's latest feature, Arrival, starring Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forrest Whitaker. And Arrival is a thoughtful and intelligent science fiction film, which takes the alien invasion narrative and takes a much more nuanced and deliberate approach to such a well-worn storyline. And this is a film that definitely rewards you with multiple viewings and and in its themes of communication and language and how it shapes our very thoughts and actions was something that something that really resonated with me. And I cannot wait to watch this film one more time. And Denis Villeneuve, he has such an expert handling on various genres, whether it's the uh, thriller uh, Prisoners or the crime drama Sicario. He, he's a talented filmmaker, and I cannot wait for his next feature coming out next October, October 2017, which is Blade Runner 2049. And oh my goodness, we are in for a treat. Mm. So number 14 is Arrival. When it comes out, do see it. At number 13 is the horror film The Witch, directed by Robert Eggers, and it is billed as a New England folktale. And this film follows a Puritan Christian family living in uh, 16th century New England, and after they've been banished by their village, they decide to take up residence on the edge of these mysterious and dark woods. And right after they, they take up residence, uh, slowly but surely, all of these strange and disturbing and horrifying things begin to happen to this family, and their uh, very uh, beliefs begin to turn against them in, in various ways. And this is a film that doesn't rely on cheap jump scares to get to get its uh, message across. Rather, it relies on mood, tone, its cool cinematography, and its dreadful score to ratchet up that sense of tension throughout the film and all the way towards its rather unforgettable and disquieting ending. And The Witch is a film that I, I had the uh, pleasure of seeing twice. And for me, it was definitely scarier the second time around, especially because I knew what was going to happen. And and uh, this, is, this is definitely a film in which I've never been more scared of, of a goat. I mean, the goat known as Black Phillip, uh, will definitely definitely be a uh, character that will uh, kind of burrow his way into your brain, so to speak. And, you know, I always kind of wondered about The Witch. I wondered if Robert Eggers was a Patrice O'Neill fan 
I say that because you know the late uh, the late comedian Patrice O'Neill he had a, a podcast or radio show called the Black Phillips Show. So I was wondering if, if maybe that was just like some sort of clever inside joke on Robert Eggers' part. But in any case. <laughs> Check out The Witch if you are a fan of horror movies, or even if you're not a fan, if, and if you want to look for something that's uh, not is more distinct and more unique from typical uh, genre fare, then The Witch should definitely uh, be on your radar. At number 12 is a film that I reviewed extensively on the podcast, and that is Tom Ford's second directorial feature, Nocturnal Animals, and my number 11 uh, favorite film of the year is Nicholas Winding Refn's uh, latest feature, The Neon Demon, another film which I also reviewed in detail on Victor's Corner. Uh, both of these films are uh, thrillers of different sorts. Um, these are also both the types of films that I can't easily recommend to other people I know, <laughs> which, you know what, I'm totally fine with because these films aren't for everybody. And with that, I will say that uh, The Neon Demon in particular, uh, I've watched three times. And I will say that it, it does have some of my favorite cinematography of this year, as well as uh, my favorite soundtrack of the year as well. And for Nocturnal Animals, I really liked its premise. And I like and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Michael Shannon in particular. They were just fantastic in the film, along with Aaron Taylor Johnson and Amy Adams. And uh, that film's uh, themes of masculinity and weakness and that sort of thing really, really made it stand out in, in a major way. So uh, Nocturnal Animals at number 12 and The Neon Demon at number 11, uh, two films that would make for really really family-friendly double feature. <laughs> uh, yeah, you might say I got issues. I ain't got issues. I don't have issues, okay? So what if I like dark films? And you know what? I'm going to say this right now, once and for all. I, I need to squash this right now because now that I have this on my mind, I am. this is to Aris and Carl and Maurice. I am so sick of this meme that you guys have been perpetuating since we started the podcast. I do not, I am not exclusively a fan of depressing, dark, cancer-filled dramas, okay? I, I like feel-good films, okay? I like to laugh, I like to smile just like everybody, and I would say that Nocturnal Animals and the Neon Demon can put a smile on, on somebody's face, right? It could give you a happy feeling in a way. Don't judge me, God damn it! let's move on. Oh, okay, people, let's keep it going now. Um, now we're getting into my 10 favorite films as well. We are at the 10 spot, and at number 10 is Shane Black's latest film, The Nice Guys, starring Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. And this film follows uh, Russell Crowe, who plays a, a self-loathing, out-of-shape enforcer, who basically um, you know, gets hired by people to beat up other people. So, you know, that's a pretty, pretty good way to make a living. And uh, Ryan Gosling plays a private detective who's kind of a screw-up in, in, in his own right. Uh, he's just trying his best to raise his teenage daughter, who seems to be, who's definitely way smarter than even he gives her credit for. And the, the Nice Guys, it's a, it's a, uh, 
it's a well-written comedy film uh, by Shane Black, so you know that you know he is. You're gonna you're gonna get some great dialogue, um, some memorable lines, and the chemistry between Gosling and Crow is just a, a real sight to see. They make a really terrific comedy duo, and Shane Black has also expressed his interest in making a sequel uh, for The Nice Guys, and I really hope he does because I would love to see. Uh, another film featuring these two characters because their chemistry is just so so good to watch on screen so if you have not seen the nice guys you are in for one hell of a treat and if you're a fan of shane black's films you can also watch this alongside his 2005 feature kiss kiss bang bang so check it out the nice guys it's a nice film at number nine is Jon Favreau's live action adaptation of Disney's The Jungle Book. And I will say that The Jungle Book uh, is that rare example of a film which is much better than the original version that came out. And I know that's a controversial opinion to have, especially among many of you who, um, who are fans of the beloved uh, Disney animated feature. But I will say that Favreau, uh, Favreau's film is a, is a much stronger effort. Uh, uh, his version of The Jungle Book is filled with amazing visual effects from the lush jungle setting to the very creatures that populate it. And the, and the voice cast was just awesome. I mean, you have Bill Murray playing Baloo the bear. You have uh, Ben Kingsley playing Bagheera the panther. You have Lupita Nyong'o playing Raksha, the wolf mother of Mowgli. And of course, you have Idris Elba as Shere Khan, aka the Suge Knight of the jungle. He was a very intimid intimidating presence. And most of all, you have Christopher Walken in a rather unique and inspired take as King Louis, who he plays King Louis as a menacing crime boss or mob figure. And it, it, it was just something that was so unexpected and so fresh that I, it just put a smile on my face to see him on screen. And and his rendition of Ubi Do I Wanna Be Like You was both entertaining, snazzy, and just a touch menacing as, as well. It, it's just something. It was just a one of a kind, uh, one of a kind uh, uh, vocal and also computer generated performance. So that's something you should definitely see for yourself if you haven't had a chance to see the Jungle Book. Um, if you're a fan of the original then you will definitely like this one. And I dare say you may like this one even more, because I know I did. So check it out as soon as you can. The Jungle Book by Jon Favreau. Number eight is Captain America Civil War. Enough said. All right, well, you know what? I'm going to say a little bit. You know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe cannot stop. They just can't stop, and they won't stop making good feature films. And this one is easily their best film to date. And we also reviewed this in detail on the Codex Prime podcast earlier this year, so be sure to check out that episode. And this is a film that Batman vs. Superman and Suicide Squad should have been. This is how you take an ensemble cast of characters and you give them and you do them all justice. And at the end of the day, you still make it the central characters very own film in this case captain america so i cannot wait to see what the mcu has in store for us for their remaining uh films leading up to infinity war and 
man, I gotta say, uh, this this is a film that I can rewatch uh, multiple times and still feel just as thrilled as I did the first time. So Captain America Civil War, Marvel's best film to date. I can't wait to see if they can top this film. And if they can, then whew, we are in for something truly, truly special. At number seven is Zootopia. And this is a cleverly crafted film that tackles stereotypes and racism in such an intelligent, non-pandering way with anthropomorphic animals. And you know, Zootopia is a film where it could all fall apart terribly if there was one false note in it. Like for example, if characters were played too cutesy or twee, or if it devolved into, into ham-fisted preachiness. And thankfully, Zootopia succeeds in, in avoiding those pitfalls. And plus, you know, the, the film is actually a really interesting crime and mystery story to boot. And I say, if you haven't seen this film, see it once, see it twice, See it three times. Hell, see it four times for good measure. Zootopia is one of the best films of the year. It's a it's a quality piece of Disney animation, and I I, I really love this film, and and I, I will say no more. Just go see it. Number six is Hacksaw Ridge, which is the harrowing true life story of Desmond Doss, who was a conscientious objector who served as a medic in World War II and had saved the lives of 75 entrymen during the war. And this film, which was directed by Mel Gibson, his first feature in 10 years since Apocalypto in 2006, is a powerful and just impactful uh, war drama. And... Seeing and and seeing Andrew Garfield in, in such a great performance as Desmond Doss, you know, um, you know, you know, saving lives and physically going into the fray without any weapons of any kind was just you know just above and beyond bravery, and you know it, it's a film it's a film that you know you can you can definitely appreciate and respect you know because it's all about you know what it's what's it like to really stand up for your beliefs i mean not necessarily not just talking about religious beliefs but just standing up for your own uh, moral principles whatever they may be and you know uh and 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 adhering to them against all odds and i will say that after watching this film as i've said in the podcast and and as and as maurice has said uh, before free Mel Gibson because Mel Gibson is a hell of a talent behind the camera and I would love to see more films directed by him in the future hopefully he'll uh hopefully he won't say anything stupid and hateful from here on out but I will say that uh Hacksaw Ridge is a film that will definitely uh stand up there along with the other great uh, World War II era dramas that we've seen in cinema so Hacksaw Ridge, if you have the stomach for it, by all means, watch it. At number five is the overlooked and underrated crime drama Hell or High Water, starring Ben Foster, Chris Pine, Jeff Bridges, and Gil Birmingham. And this was directed by David McKenzie and written by Taylor Sheridan. And this film follows two brothers, played by Pine and Foster, who are in desperate straits. Uh, their family farm and home is about to be foreclosed upon by the bank, so they take it upon themselves to rob a series of local banks in West Texas. Texas. 
and Jeff Bridges and Gil Birmingham play, play the two Texas Rangers who are assigned to track down and put a stop to these two bank robbing brothers. And this is a film which is which is a strong and a well-written and well-acted and well-paced uh, film. And uh, Taylor Sheridan's uh, uh, script, it's, it's, it, posi- it positions the narrative as a modern Western, kind of in a similar vein to No Country for Old Men, uh, considering the, um, the economic uh, themes of, you know, economic malaise and, you know, unemployment and, you know, being poor and being desperate to keep your head afloat, uh, trying to escape poverty and all those other sorts of resonant themes, you know, really elevates this film. And and Jeff Bridges was was of course great in it. Uh, he you know plays a laconic and uh, and race and somewhat racist uh, uh, Texas Ranger who kind of gives his partner uh, Gil Birmingham you know a lot of. A lot of annoyance and a lot of grief in, in many ways, but you could tell that their partnership is very genuine, that they still have a lot of respect for each other. Uh, ben Foster was also was also great as the borderline psychotic, hot-headed brother who's so gung-ho on, on robbing these banks that like not only is he robbing it to kind of to help to help his brother and their family stay afloat, but you could tell that he gets some kind of sick, perverse pleasure out of terrorizing people and chris pine chris pine turns in, turns in a very understated and very you know pulled back performance in comparison to foster but pine was also equally was equally fantastic as well uh he plays a guy who uh who tries to keep his emotions in check and he's all he's all focused on on his own goal of you know getting enough money to get his family out of out of a uh, desperate poverty, and Hell or High Water is just a, it's just a it's just a great, uh, great great film, and it is a film that more and more people should definitely take their time to watch. Do not sleep on this film. This film actually came out on Blu-ray and DVD just a, a month ago. So please check it out. It's one of the b- very best films of the year. Hell or High Water. All right, people, now we're getting to number four. And this is a film that I actually had a chance to see uh, this past weekend, and I love it. And it is uh, the musical La La Land, starring Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, and directed and written by Damien Chazelle, who wrote, the t- who wrote and directed the 2014 Oscar-winning film Whiplash with Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons. And La La Land is a film that I absolutely love and adore and cherish and oh well i'm getting ahead of myself let's let's get into what it's about uh so the film is about uh emma stone's character mia who happens to be an aspiring actress and sebastian is an aspiring jazz pianist played by ryan gosling and uh basically you know boy meets girl but it's far from from a meet cute this is an old school musical, you know, uh, directed and presented in the same vein as like many of the Gene Kelly musicals like Singing, Singing in the Rain and An American in Paris, as well as many of the Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers musicals of, of, of their time. And this is a film uh, musical which was both what I expected and not quite what I expected either, but it's not a bait and switch. Um, I really loved how the film, you know, how the film went into a very uh, 
a very unexpected but yet very natural direction which really fit the tone of the film where you have uh, the first half being many song and dance numbers very exuberant very entertaining just very you know just very joyful and then when it when as the as the narrative progresses it gets a little more serious and those musical numbers kind of pull back a little but you're still very much engaged by these two characters Mia and Sebastian and the I just love everything about this film, La La Land. I mean, you have gorgeous magic hour cinematography by Linus Sangren, where you see uh, several scenes of uh, of them, you know, walking along the uh, violet and pink skylines and sunsets of L.A. And you see a lot of sweeping long takes, which the camera is just uh, hovering and floating throughout the set, you know, which replicates those old school musicals, which have wide shots and lengthy average shot lengths. So the cuts are kind of kept to a minimum in that department as well. Also, the choreography and the music, the music uh, musical score by Justin Hurwitz was so on point. I mean, the 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 very first musical number another day of sun in which you see all these people dancing along the los angeles freeway on top of their cars you see one person parkouring his way along everyone who's singing and dancing on the freeway is it, it just put a a wide ear-to-ear grin on my face when i saw it and then you also have the um the the song by ryan gosling called city of stars which very much is the anthem of this film and it definitely speaks to uh mia and sebastian's situation and la la land is a musical which i absolutely adore and cherish and oh i cannot wait to see this again this is a film that had me feeling great had me feeling so so good to be alive to see such awesome filmmaking and to see you know, Damien Chazelle, you know, direct and present an old an unabashedly old school musical, which is set in modern day Los Angeles was just a delight. I mean, I can sing I can sing this film's praises all day. But all I have to say is La La Land is in theaters right now. So I will say bring your family, bring your friend, bring your wife, your husband, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your best friend, bring your side piece, bring your side side piece, bring your side side sides piece, whoever, see this film, La La Land. It is one hell of a musical, one of my favorite films of of 2016, (laughs) and I cannot wait to see it again. This film will definitely be added to my Blu-ray collection when it comes out. La La Land, please do yourself a favor, watch that film, and then get back to me and talk and tell me how great it was, because it's a great film. I love it. All right, people. Well, switching gears now at number three, uh, we're switching gears from the feel-good stylings of La La Land to the uh, depressing... Uh, and uh, not-so-feel-good stylings of Kenneth Lonergan's Manchester by the Sea. And this film stars Casey Affleck, Lucas Hedges, and Michelle Williams. And this is a film that I reviewed on last week's episode of the Codex Prime podcast, so be sure to check that out. And I will say, uh, Manchester by the Sea, that yes, it is a depressing narrative, but it does not wallow in misery. It's not a miserable, you know, dour and torturous experience. Oh no, it's far from that. Uh, The film does have a fair amount of levity 
to kind of balance things out. And it's and it definitely feels like something that you would see in real life. Like um, given given their tragic situation, uh, it, it does feel like something that's very true to life and something that these characters would would actually go about if it were a real life situation. And there's not one false note in this film at all. And Kenneth Lonergan creates a screenplay which feels just right and uh, very smart. And uh, Casey Affleck's, his performance was just great. And this is definitely, in my view, uh, his best performance to date. And I would love to see more films uh, from Kenneth Lonergan. And I would love to see more uh, films from Casey Affleck as well, because, you know, he's a hell of a talent. And I would love to see another collaboration between him and his older brother, Ben Affleck. You know, Gone Baby Gone was such a great film. And I would love to see something in that vein with those two uh, brothers back, back again. So... Please, by all means, uh, check out Manchester by the Sea. It's a, it's a film that I do look forward to re revisiting once again. Oh yes, people, we are at number two, my penultimate favorite film of 2016, which just came out this past weekend, and I absolutely love it with all my heart and soul, and that is Fences starring Denzel Washington, who also directs this film. And it also stars Viola Davis, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Giovanna Depo, Russell Hornsby, and Michael T. Williamson. And this film was based on August Wilson's play of the same name. And uh, Denzel Washington and Viola Davis, they reprised their 2010 Tony Award winning roles uh, from, th from this play. And... This film, Fences, it follows the story of Troy Maxson, played by Washington, who's this very embittered man who, uh, who's married to his wife, Rose, played by Viola Davis, and he has a young son, the teenage son named Corey. And Troy is a very embittered man who's, uh, who's very salty about his own station in life. Like He always talks about like, how great he could have became if he, if he made it in baseball, you know, like if he was... Um, if he had a chance to not only make it in the Negro leagues, but also make it in the majors, but he always talks about he always talks about well, you know, by the time the majors came along and Jackie Robinson, I was already too old to play, so you know, here I am stuck with this family, stuck as a garbage man, just 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 plain old stuck all around. And Troy is a guy who is he's a very complex character in many ways he's an asshole because he blames everybody but himself for his own problems he always talks about how other people hold him back and he's always very and, he, and he's also very jealous of his own son Corey who 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 shows tremendous potential in sports like he has a lot of college recruiters looking at him for his talents on the football field and that might give him a great chance to make it to college and for Troy, instead of being proud of his son and encouraging him, he's all, he all tr he just tries to strip his son of his dream by saying, "Well, you're not better than me. I'm gonna, I'm 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 a, I'm a crab in the barrel. I'm gonna drag you down down the bottom of this barrel with me." And Viola Davis plays his wife Rose, who's this who's this long suffering wife of, wife of 18 years, and she's just trying her best to love Troy for who he is and also keep the family together, and. It's a film that that is just a pure master class in acting, in writing, directing, and dialogue. This is very much a play on film. And 
you know, see, and these performances are just nothing short of incredible. I mean, Denzel Washington, he's one of my all-time favorite actors. And here, he plays a, a guy who's very complex. He's a guy that you, that you, uh, you feel you feel sympathy for but you also loathe at the same time and you he he's he he deli- he delivers a very magnetic presence uh to the screen and uh you you you're just you're you feel just as much sympathy as you do revulsion for him and viola davis in this film oh oh my god people listen i cried I cried twice in this film, and it was mainly due to Viola Davis's scenes. There was one scene in the film where she has, where she just has this intense conversation with uh, with Troy, and I and there's a reason why they have this intense conversation. And she talks about how you know she lashes out at Troy for you know making excuses for himself for being so narcissistic that he blames everybody but himself for his own problems and his own worries and issues. And Viola Davis, like she just pours her heart and soul into this character. Like she's just crying and she got the snot coming out of her nose. Like she's just so into her into her uh, into her feelings and everything that. When she talked about how much that she, how much she sacrificed for Troy and how much of her dreams that she sacrificed to keep you know the her family afloat and how much it breaks her heart to see their son Corey have his heart broken because of Troy's jealousy, it just broke my heart. It just just seeing her, you know, deliver such a passionate performance on screen, I was just crying. Uh, uh, during the during that, it it was just it was it was a performance that really, that really floored me. And Viola Davis, she's she's such a talented actress that she can take a small role and make it absolutely memorable, absolutely unforgettable. And a perfect example of that is the film Doubt in two thousand and eight with Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Amy Adams. And also, uh, the other actors in this film, they definitely pull their weight, and they're a big reason why this film succeeds so well. I mean, I loved uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson's uh, turn as Bono, who is uh, Troy's best friend, and um, he plays a, a sort of like a, a, a grounded, almost fatherly presence because he's a bit older than than Troy is, and he tries to, you know, encourage, you know, and, and be supportive of Troy, and... Um, and uh, in any way he can, and they have a very good com- camaraderie. I also liked Russell Hornsby, who plays uh, his older his older son, who comes around only when uh, when when Troy has his payday, and he's like an and his son is like an aspiring you know jazz musician. His older older son, and seeing their dynamic is interesting. Also, I gotta say, Michael T. Williamson, he was uh, he was almost he was definitely touching as. Uh, as a uh, Troy's older brother Gabe, who who has become shell shocked and uh, mentally uh, disabled because of a of a wartime injury that he sustained during World War II, and he sort of plays like a a, a messenger or a herald in the film. He's always carrying a trumpet and he's always talking about Judgment Day and uh, opening the gates for Saint Peter, which kind of which which uh which kind of resonates with me uh, with the themes of the film. Also, you have the theme, the very theme of the film itself, fences, like they're always building, like Denzel Washington, he's trying to build a fence in his backyard. And that theme is, you know, keeping people out and keeping like uh, people in, which which for better or worse. And that, and you kind of see how that theme plays out in the film. 
And man, I, I mean, I, I could say so much about this film. I mean, this this is Denzel Washington's third directorial feature, and I would say it's definitely his best one, his his strongest effort to date, following The Great Debaters and Antoine Fisher, his debut. And I will say that with Viola Davis, give her the Oscar today. We don't have to wait until February. Just, just give her her statuette. She has earned her Oscar. But I am curious about one thing. Da- Viola Davis won the Tony Award for Lead Actress. So why is it that she's campaigning for the Supporting, Act- Supporting Actress Awards, she- where she's clearly a lead performer in this film? I don't know. I mean, I suppose it's just to increase her odds of actually winning the Oscar. But no, but never, nevertheless, she is a she is a a major reason why this film is so powerful, and of course Washington and, and the rest of the cast, and um, August Wilson, who also wrote the play. He actually he passed away in two thousand and five. Uh, he actually earns he actually has a sole a screenwriting credit for this film. So for him, it's a posthumous. Uh, screenwriting credit but uh i will say that fences is a enormously powerful uh film it's a film that i cannot wait to add to my collection it is a master class in acting and directing and dialogue and it is just oh man I'm just tearing up just thinking about that film again, man. And I can go on and on about it, but all I will say is Fences is playing in theaters now, so please do yourself a favor and see this film. See it now. Fences. Finally. I said finally. We are at my number one favorite film of 2016. Drum roll, please. <clears throat> I, I, I said drum roll. Come on, man. Can I get a freaking drum roll over here? Really? No? All right. Well, screw you then. Anyway, <laughs> my number one favorite film of 2016 is Moonlight. Directed, by Barry, directed and written by Barry Jenkins. And Moonlight is a film which I... Uh, reviewed in depth on Victor's Corner along with Arrival. And this is a film that when I saw it, it it, it definitely floored me, much like Fences did. Uh, Moonlight is a phenomenal feature film, and I cannot recommend this film enough. I cannot wait until this film comes out on Blu-ray. Um, from what I hear, Barry Jenkins actually made a stopover to the Criterion Collection office. So hopefully we'll get us we'll get to see a video of him on YouTube picking out um, his own selections from the Criterion Closet because Moonlight very well is very well worthy of the Criterion Collection. But uh, for those who are unfamiliar with Moonlight, it is a story about uh, the life story of a young gay black man living in Florida, in Liberty City, Miami. And the film uh, takes place in three distinct acts, uh, from the time he was a young boy, to the time he was a teenager, to the time he was a young man, an adult in the present day. And this young man's name is Chiron, and he has to struggle with not only being a, a, a gay man, but also a gay black man. And he also has to struggle with his own sense of manhood and masculinity, and he also has to deal with his uh, his 
his mentally and emotionally abusive mother, played by Naomi Harris, a woman named Paula, who happens to be an, 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 an addict and is struggling with her own demons and addictions. And uh, she's clearly ill-equipped to raise raise this boy on, on her own. So Chiron finds refuge in, in this man named Juan, who happens to be a local drug dealer, who also who takes... Uh, Chiron under his wing and actually becomes a positive and uh, uh, empowering father figure to the young boy, which is just what he needs. And his uh, his lady, uh, uh, Teresa, played by Janelle Monet, becomes that maternal figure that Chiron desperately needs. And she helps keep him on the, on the straight and narrow as much as she can. And this is a film that is just filled with uh, amazing and subtle performances. Uh, the one standout performance in, in this film belongs to Trevante Rhodes, who plays the adult Chiron in the present day. And just seeing him, you know, seeing him as, as this really strong, very tough, you know, guy who on the exterior looks like a guy you don't want to mess with, but inside he's still that same vulnerable young boy struggling with his sense of self was just, just thoroughly engaging and man there, there's a lot you could you could unpack with his story alone and all the actors the three actors who played Chiron along with Trevante Rhodes you have um uh I'm looking up you have um Alex Hibbert who plays the young boy Chiron and also you have Ashton Sanders who plays the teenage Chiron who's every bit as good as both as both of his counterparts and you know, seeing this young man's journey from a boy to a man was uh, nothing short of incredible. And Barry Jenkins, uh, this is a this is a powerful uh, uh, feature film from him, and it's an excellent uh, follow up to his uh, first feature, Medicine for Melancholy, which I also recommend. Uh, Moonlight is a film that that has gotten. Uh, has earned tremendous praise from critics and many awards circles, and for good reason. Um, I would love to see this film be nominated for for many of the major Oscar categories, in particular Best Picture, Best Director, also um, Best Original Screenplay. You know, in a year of strong films, I would love to see Moonlight earn the Best Picture uh, statuette. If it doesn't, then that's totally fine. But in any case, this film doesn't really need awards to to validate its worth and, and its power and its impact. So um, Moonlight is a film that I absolutely give my highest recommendation and praise to. And if it's still playing in theaters in your area, wherever you're, wherever you're at, I encourage you, strongly encourage you to see this film. And it's a film that I will definitely rewatch again once it's available on Blu-ray. And hopefully Criterion will pick it up because it deserves to be in its, uh, in its venerated uh, library. So please check it out. My number one favorite film of 2016, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight. And that about wraps it up for this week's episode of Victor's Corner. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and listening in. And my question to you all is, what are your favorite films of 2016? 
Whatever they are, please email the show at codexprimepodcast at gmail.com, and I'll be sure to either read your responses on the next episode of Victor's Corner or the next episode of the Codex Prime Podcast. Now, once again, we will be back next week with a brand new episode of the Codex Prime Podcast to kick off the new year just right. Um... I will say that 2016 has been a dumpster fire of epic proportions, at least politically and on a societal level, for many reasons, which I won't get into. But I will say that on a personal level, for me, 2016 has been a very, very good year, not only on a personal level, but also in particular because of the podcast. And, you know, when when Maurice, Aris, and myself started this podcast in uh, May of 2015, we had... We, we had no idea of where the where this podcast would go because you know the 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 dream is is so big and then shortly and then when Carl joined us uh, uh months later you know the four of us you know were you know we've been plugging away at this podcast you know slowly but subtly gaining listeners and we all thank you very much uh, on behalf of the rest of the fellas on the podcast well we all thank you very much for listening to our show and we promise to deliver more hot content uh for 2017 um for me personally i will make victor's corner a regular feature of the codex prime podcast so i'll have dedicated uh film reviews for for my own show and i'll still have quick reviews for the uh main podcast as well so be sure to be on the lookout for victor's corner as a regular feature at least almost every week (laughs) so Once again, you can find our show uh, on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. You can also drop a five-star review uh, on iTunes as well. You can also see select episodes on YouTube. And you can also email the show at codexprimepodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Once again, my name is Victor Omoyo. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Thank you for a a very good 2016 on the podcast front and we hope that 2017 will be an exceptional and excellent year and way 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 more positive than 2016 ever was (laughs) so um to that i say be well be awesome be great and we will see you next week take care guys Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a Happy New Year.